Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Julianne Gallant. Julianne and I met on an airplane flying from Calgary to Toronto. My husband and I were on our way to Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, where he was attending a conference and I was not attending the conference. During the flight, my husband was watching a movie and I started having a conversation with the person sitting beside me and that person was Julianne. We shared stories and even found out that we had some things in common. I learned that Julianne had just been guest conducting with the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra and was looking to apply to be the resident conductor. Fast forward a few months and she was starting in this new role. I even had the immense privilege to see Julianne conduct in a performance with country music star, Brett Kissel. New Brunswick born Julianne, as I mentioned, is the resident conductor of the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra. She is one of two conductors chosen for the inaugural cohort of the Tapestry Opera Women in Musical Leadership Fellowship. Since relocating to Canada during the pandemic after a decade in the UK, she has appeared as a guest conductor with the Okanagan Symphony Orchestra, Kingston Symphony Orchestra, Victoria Symphony, and Symphony New Brunswick. A passionate collaborator, Julianne first trained as a pianist and vocal coach and began her conducting career in opera. She has led productions throughout the UK for a number of companies. She made her Royal Opera House conducting debut in 2021 in collaboration with Pegasus Opera. A strong believer in music as a vehicle for joy and human connection, a large component of Julianne's portfolio career in the UK was in the community outreach and education sectors. She led interactive opera workshops in schools in underserved London boroughs with communities of refugees and with people living with physical and mental disabilities. She has also extensively worked with Lost Chord, a charity that brings live music to people living with dementia. Julianne is a graduate of the National Opera Studio, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and the Conservatoire de Musique at Dart Dramatique de Montreal, the University of Ottawa, and the Université de Moncton. In London, Julianne was one of only 12 conductors selected for the first women conductors course, conducting for opera run by the Royal Opera House, the National Opera Studio, and the Royal Philharmonic Society, and has received continued support by the Royal Opera House throughout her training. 
She has participated in conducting master classes with the T Toronto Symphony Orchestra and in the Winnipeg Symphony RBC Canadian Conductors Showcase. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julianne. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. So I have almost a million questions to ask you, so I'm going to jump right in. So I want to start at the beginning of your story, especially as it comes to music. So what was it that sparked your passion for music? And what are some of your earliest experiences with music that got you really interested in, in sort of taking that on and really focusing on that? Yeah, so my, my beginnings are very similar to a lot of kids in that my parents decided I was going to take piano lessons when I was five. So I started playing piano. My first teacher was actually my mom's aunt. So it was really lovely to have a family connection in that sense. So I uh, played piano throughout all of grade school, but I think something that was a really big moment for me is when I was in grade seven, we started our school band. So I was asked to play French horn in our school band, and it was really that moment of seeing what it felt like to be playing with other people that really sparked kind of where my career has gone since then. So it was the joy of really making music with other people that uh, convinced me that this is what I was gonna do for my career. And what was it about the French horn? So I also took band in junior high school and yep. I started with the clarinet and then I moved on to the tenor saxophone, which I sort of regretted because I walked to and from school and it was very heavy and awkward <laughs> to carry. But yeah, I'm curious why the French horn? Yeah. So before we chose our instruments, we all kind of tried a bunch of different embouchures to see like what we made a more successful sound on. And it was clear that I was going to be a brass player. And I think it was kind of like the weird instrument that no one wanted to play. So I was like, oh, well, I guess like I'll try it and see what happens. It did end up being a really good fit. I continued to play it through high school and I played in the New Brunswick Youth Symphony for a little bit when I was in university as well. And I still, to this day, as a conductor, love the horn as, as a color because it kind of sits between the brass and the wind families. So it like helps to blend a lot of different colors in the orchestra. Very cool. Yeah, I'm always so interested, you know, in junior high, I don't know what your first band concert was like. My parents, you know, later in life told me it just was a lot of squeaks and <laughs> things like that. But there was something about that coming together and sort of having people choose their instrument. And it was quite remarkable how even over the course of that first year in band, how things did get significantly better. But it, it, it was very fun to be part of that group. Now, you started your career as a musician, as a pianist, and then you moved into conducting. So what was that shift like and how did that happen? So that was a complete accident. My idea of collaboration when I started my undergrad was I worked as a pianist who worked with opera singers. And so I always knew that I loved working with other people. It was never about me being a pianist playing by myself. I thought that was quite boring. And I did a lot of playing with opera singers for a very, very long time. I didn't uh, realize I was going to be a conductor until I was in my 30s. So I did a lot of my training here in Canada, and then I moved to London, England when I was 26, and I spent a decade there. While I was working in London, 
I worked with a lot of smaller opera companies where I was the music director, but from the piano. So that means instead of having a full orchestra and performance, we had just me playing the notes and kind of like pointing at singers when I could to help them remember when to come in. And at some point, there's one of these like smaller companies that works with young artist singers who asked me if I wanted to try conducting. And the piece that we were doing was a piece I really liked. And also I liked being employed. So I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll try it. I'm sure it'll be fun. But I didn't see it as like a career change, not at that point. I knew that I loved leading and I knew that I loved working with young people. So but then the first rehearsal where I was actually on the podium conducting, it was like love at first sight. Like there's something that like flipped in my head and I thought, oh, this is what I was supposed to be doing the entire time. So that was a lovely surprise for me. And I just started to kind of rethink my career from that moment and sought out conducting opportunities and training opportunities. And that's led me to where I am now. Isn't it so interesting how sometimes those unexpected opportunities just take us down this different path? But I love how you were open to it. So even though you're, you know, at the time thinking, oh, I don't know where this, if this is really going to be anything more than this experience in itself, you're open to trying something different and look where it has taken you. Yeah, I'm very grateful that I said yes. Because it was just about trying new things. And I'm always open to saying yes. So I thought it was just one of one more of those instances of, of saying yes to something. But it turned out it was a lot bigger than just that. That is very cool. Now, your path to conducting, would you consider that to be a traditional path? Or is there a traditional path to becoming a conductor? Yeah, conducting is one of the weird ones because... Everyone in the orchestra has studied their instrument, usually at at least a master's level, and they've really, really worked on their instrument. But conductors often or sometimes don't have a degree in conducting. I have a couple degrees, but they're all in piano. I don't have any actual formal training as a conductor other than having taken a lot of lessons and done workshops, but I don't have a piece of paper that says that I am a conductor. I think conducting is something that people will often come to a little bit later in life after having worked as an instrumentalist or as a singer of some sort. But actually, in a lot of ways, the way that I got there is quite common, especially in Europe. It's very common for someone to be a pianist who works in opera and then kind of gradually make your way into conducting because there's a lot of leadership that happens from the piano in the opera rehearsal room. So it's not super uncommon, but I think like people get come to being conductors in so many different ways. Yeah, there's not just this one set path if that's, no. if that's what you want to follow. Now, one of the things that I asked you before we hopped on here today were some of your most frequently asked questions. So I thought it would be fun to jump into those now because I think they sort of highlight and help understand some of the key elements of your story. So one of the questions that you shared with me was, what does a conductor actually do and why are they even necessary? Yeah, I get asked that a lot. It does look like I just stand there and I wave my arms around, <laughs> which, which is part of what I do. But one of the 
most important parts of my job is to make sure that people start together, right? I'm standing in front of incredibly competent musicians. They know how to play in time. I'm not just beating the rhythm because they can do that by themselves, but it is helpful to have someone start them together. And then any music that has any variations in tempo, in speed, it's great to have someone there to help navigate that as well. So that's just like the, the, the tempo part of it. But a lot of the other things is we have a lot of information on the page. Of course, like the notes are not going to change and the actual rhythm isn't going to change. But something like if it says to play quiet, what kind of quiet is it? Is it like a whisper or is it like a very energized, quiet sound? So someone has to be there to lead all those decisions. And I think it also helps to have someone on the podium that sends energy into the group that helps people to come together and to want to do this thing as a unified ensemble. So there's a lot of parts to your role then. So you're a decision maker, an energizer, an interpreter, maintaining that rhythm and tempo. So there's a lot, a lot more happening than just waving arms around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, what is a resident conductor and what is their function within an organization? Yeah. So I, my current title is I am the resident conductor of the Calgary Philharmonic, which means that I am the uh, conductor that's really on the ground living in Calgary. And I am the contact with the community in a lot of ways. So we have someone in our organization called the music director, Runa Bergman, and he spends quite a lot of time here and he conducts a lot of the bigger classic concerts. But he has a really busy schedule and he travels all over and he spends time in Europe and he spends time in the States. But I'm the person who is here and I do a lot of the education shows. So I have a lot of contact with younger people who come in either as school groups or we have some concerts called Symphony Sunday for Kids on Sunday afternoons, where we do shows that are tailored to younger people. I also conduct a lot of the more kind of pop and rock shows. So shows that are not specifically classical, but that are collaborations with other genres of music. And I also do some shows sometimes in like food courts. So we love to bring music to people, to their places of work. So I'm very much the community liaison, the person who is here in a little bit more of a consistent way. Well, it sounds like you have a very interesting role where you get to do lots of interesting and different things. So another of your FAQs was what kind of difference can it make to have one conductor rather than another on the podium? So are you mentioned your music director. Are there other people that are stepping onto that podium as well? Yeah, so in any orchestra you have, or at least here at the Calgary Fellow, we have the music director and we have myself, and we are two the two main conductors who will spend time with the orchestra, but we also have tons of guest conductors. So we have people who show up just to do the one performance, and often these people are specialists in their field. So they bring something that they have deep knowledge in, and they're able to share that knowledge with the orchestra. And with that knowledge, they will actually change the sound of the orchestra in a lot of ways by asking for very specific things. So I'm, I get the benefit of sitting in a lot of rehearsals with these guest conductors that come in and I get to watch the orchestra transform over the course of a couple of days of rehearsal, which is incredibly fascinating. 
Yeah, that must be so neat. And such a great learning opportunity too to have all these different people be a part of be a part of the work. So one of the things that I've learned in getting to know you and getting more curious about conductors is there aren't that many female conductors in the industry. So have you observed or experienced any misconceptions or challenges specifically faced by female conductors? Yeah, I think they're very similar to a lot of other leadership positions and some of the challenges that maybe female CEOs have. And for me, I mean, I have to say that I'm not having, it doesn't happen all the time. And I'm not facing any challenges around my gender in my current job or a lot of the jobs I've had recently. But I think there's a lot for women in like leadership positions around our speech and how we talk. And there's a bit of a double bind in the sense that if we talk in a way that's very direct and with a lot of leadership, we tend to come up, come across as being bossy or as being just a little bit too strong-willed. But the flip side is if we try to be soft, then we are seen as not being efficient leaders. So there can be a lot of that. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I speak to people, about the language that I use and about how I use my actual voice. I think that doesn't just have to do with women. It also has to do with what we have as a concept of what leadership is. And I think we just need to broaden the scope of that so that everyone has the right of speaking in a way that is firm and confident, but also is able to bring a lot of softness and openness and love to their job. Well, and I think it's so interesting too, with there not being that many female conductors, I know one of the things that um, you shared with me is how much it sort of lights you up and gets you excited when young girls come up and talk to you and sort of see you doing this work. And, you know, it can, I think for so many young kids, it can really spark their interest in terms of what's possible for themselves when they grow up and what they, if they love music, that maybe this is something that they could do too. So do you feel like there's a little bit of a shift in trying to encourage more young girls and more females to get involved in perhaps becoming a conductor one day? Yeah, I'm so happy you said that because it's it's one of my favorite parts of my job. I often get asked what it's like to be a female conductor. And it's like, well, I, I mean, it's the only thing I know. I don't know what it's like to be a male conductor because I've never done that. But the one time where my gender really matters to me is whenever I conduct a concert and they're little girls. And then, you know, I speak to a parent and they say, she was conducting with you the whole show. And I just like, that makes me feel like I've really done something important. And I think it does show little girls that if they want to be conductors, it is possible. But also if you want to work in a leadership role elsewhere, it's possible. You are allowed to be up there and to show people to help people come together in your job. There is a little bit of a shift that's happening right now. There are a lot of initiatives that are happening to put more women on the podium. And actually it's one of those initiatives that's brought me back to Canada. So there's a company in Toronto called Tapestry Opera and they run a fellowship called Women in Musical Leadership. And through this fellowship, they have collaborated with over 20 companies across Canada, opera companies and orchestras. And they have some female conductors such as myself and another five women and we just get sent from place to place and we work in assistant roles and we do some conducting and it's really, really open doors for us. And hopefully this is going to help to 
change the landscape a little bit. And there is some initiatives like that that are happening in other countries as well. So we're not there yet, but people are really making an effort to try to shift things towards more equality on the podium. I love that. And it, I think when initiatives like that happen, it starts to create that momentum, right? Exactly. And a yeah. conversation. And a conversation, which is yeah. fantastic. So it's great that that initiative has given yourself and other females more opportunities to really grow in your careers. And, and again, hopefully encourage more people, more females to, to get involved in conducting as well. Now Absolutely. You've, so you've talked a little bit about leadership and being a leader as you stand on the podium and as you're conducting and, and working with the orchestra. So there's so many different approaches to leadership. And you've shared with me that your approach is a people-centered one, which I am very curious and interested about. So what does people-centered leadership mean to you? And what would be a specific maybe experience or example where that approach played a role in the work that you do? Yeah. So my whole kind of purpose for doing my job is that I just love people and I love collaborating and communicating with people. And I'd found that when I was working as a pianist with opera singers, I was, I just loved being in a rehearsal room with someone else and being able to share thoughts as a conductor, I get to do that with like 60 plus people at once, which is just the most most exciting thing. The energy that you get up there is incredible. So I always come to the podium with a lot of very clear ideas. So when I study my score, I have ideas of how I want music to go and what I'd love, but I always am open to someone giving me something I wasn't expecting and to love it more than what I had in mind. So I try to spend a lot of time up there listening and to accept what is sent my way rather than leading from inside of me out, right? So one field in which that makes a really big difference, I think, is in opera. So any opera singer is going to sing a certain phrase a different way because of different reasons. You know, people have better breath support than others, so they'll have to, they'll have more space to sing it slower or some people have technique where they can sing things really fast and they can sing all the fast notes and it's very exciting. And I think if I show up and I have an idea of how I want all of these songs, these arias to go, it's not going to fit the person I'm working with. So I always show up and I am expecting to tailor my musical approach to the people and to what they bring, up, they bring to the table. Because I think the happier every individual person is on stage, the better the product. Yeah. No, I think that's such a, a beautiful leadership approach. And I mean, yes, absolutely. People want to feel seen, heard, and understood. So if you're, you know, in doing that listening and in being curious and being open, you're getting that meaningful feedback that really ends up resulting in something that's a win-win, right? It's yeah, beautiful because it is that blend of what you're bringing and what they're bringing and putting it all together. So I think there's a huge gift in that. And not all leaders are open in the way that you are. So mm. it's an approach that definitely really resonates with me. And especially with like in an orchestra, like I think of working in a classroom with a group of students, it's a diverse group of people. They're, they're not all the same. I remember teaching high school or at the University of Calgary, and I could have the exact same course 
And the way that lesson or class would play out with one group versus another was so different because it's a different group of people. So I'm sure in the orchestra, there's a diverse mix of people and personalities. So how might you, if there is sort of that balance needing to be in play with asserting that leadership, you've got, you know, your goals and and something that needs to be accomplished or done and sort of fostering that collaboration. I, I imagine there's a bit of a dance that happens there. Yeah. I try to show up to the podium in a way that's always confident and that is always assured in what I'm saying. But like little examples are things like whenever I want to ask for something, I try to say we instead of could you so that it's always a sense of we are doing this together and not this is my decision and I would like you to do this because I say so. I also try to think about this collaboration a lot in the way that I use my gesture because a lot of uh, communication and conducting is is physical, right? So I try to stand in a way that is physically very open and so that I can invite people to play rather than kind of beating into them, right? So I think just by trying to stand there in a way that is open and welcoming, but with a lot of grounding. So I think that's that balance for me. It's like a sense of being grounded and confident but also just allowing people to do their job because I try to never forget that this is 60 plus people who are incredibly talented and highly skilled individuals and they're coming here together. So I'm standing in front of this incredible just group of talent and that's something I'll just like never take for granted. Well, and I think too, when you walk into a situation and you're open to that and recognize that and celebrate that, people can feel and they can sense that. For myself personally, I think about any sort of teaching learning experience or, or somebody who's been um, a leader in my life. If the approach is, you know, it's like my way or the highway, I find I stop listening. I kind of feel more tentative about what I'm doing. Like it just doesn't end up being, I think, a positive experience for for anybody. So that openness, I think, is a, a great, great approach. So you had spoken about, you know, how the work that you do is really all about the people. And the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra's tagline is your fill, your music. I did a little bit of poking around. <laughs> and with the message that orchestral music is for everyone. So from your perspective, what impact can an arts organization have in the community? I think it can have a massive impact in the communities. And I mean, it has so many different prongs to it, right? Like, so some of it is just the choice of the programming that we have in our season. I happen to be someone who believes that classical music can be for everyone and that the orchestra, like the hall is not an elitist place. I think people don't need to have any prior knowledge about classical music before showing up and just enjoying what they hear. Because there's something about a bunch of people coming together and playing together that is just like a feat of humanity. And just the raw sound that travels through the hall does something to people that is incredible. That being said, we also have music that is not just classical in our season. And I also happen to think that all music is equally valid. So, you know, there's some 
more jazzy music in the program. I'm conducting a show that's like a Broadway and Hollywood songbook, which I'm like super excited about. By the time this comes out, it will have happened, but there's a David Bowie show coming up. We're doing some music from the 80s. So it's really just like way across classical music that, ha that has been written centuries ago, all the way to music that's still being created now. And so I think that's just like is a way it's it opens doors to many people to come experience live music. There is something about music. It is such a force in connecting people, bringing people together. When you walk into a space when there's music playing, especially live music, there's just something about the energy and even the sense of community that can result. It's a connecting force yeah. for sure. So you'd mentioned a little bit about how education is a part of what you do and being an educator myself, this is something I love to talk about. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background in education and community outreach and how that influences your approach as a conductor. When I was a pianist, so during the decade that I lived in the UK, I worked fully as a freelancer. And a lot of the work that I did was in opera, but I also did a lot of community work both in the education sector. So I worked with charities that brought opera into schools and we, you know, introduced kids to opera for the first time, but we made sure that it wasn't a performance. We made sure it was always interactive. So we did things like rewrite lyrics to opera so that it's in English and teaching them to the kids so that they can sing along with us, or in some instances, even encouraging them to rewrite the lyrics for us. So there was a lot of creation that happened I participated in this one initiative where there was a sustained project after school with the kids and they completely rewrote an entire scene of an opera and they staged it themselves. So it was just a great opportunity to foster creativity and in the meantime, also introducing them to the art form. I've also done a lot of work with people with dementia. That's something that I spent a lot of time doing when I was in the UK and just being able to see the difference that bringing music to people who are in care homes can make and how it unlocks part of their brains that maybe have been dormant for a while. It's been incredibly inspiring. So just seeing the immediate impact that music has is something that I've really brought into all of the work I do. I still do a lot of community and education work, which I love, but I try to always remember this power that music has to change people's lives when I'm conducting more traditional classical concerts, because I think people come to us for all kinds of different reasons. Yeah, you, yeah, because everyone has their story. So it's hard to know what sort of their why for, for showing up and being there. But in giving young kids that opportunity to really get engaged and be interactive in a music experience is wonderful. And we've seen firsthand with my mother-in-law, actually, how music, she has Alzheimer's, and just how mm -hmm. music just trigger something. It's quite remarkable. My husband has played like traditional German music that she, you know, has loved over the years. And it's like, it just awakens something in her, which is yeah. very, very cool. So recently, so my husband surprised me, although I figured it out in advance. Came, <laughs> I got really suspicious um, about some interesting coincidences, but was able to attend an incredible performance with the Calgary Phil with you conducting and performing with Canadian country music 
singer Brett Kissel. And it was an such an amazing event. It blew both my husband and, and I away. It was just so much fun and so enjoyable. And it really drew such a diverse crowd. So before you know, sitting down in our seats, we both grabbed a coffee and we went upstairs and we're just kind of looking over, I guess, like the balcony and looking at the people. And there were people wearing tuxedos and ball gowns or kind of dressed more in the middle, like my husband and I were, or there were some in cowboy boots and jeans and cowboy hats. Like it was a really interesting mix. So why should people come to see a performance? And why do you think that coming down to check out the Calgary Phil, why is that still relevant today? Yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased that you both could make it. That was, it made me so happy to know you were in the audience. I have to say concerts like that, that have a crossover with a non-classical artist. It's some of my favorite things to do because of that energy in the crowd, because you have people who are there for the orchestra. And you have people who are there for the country artist. And then there's like the small portion of people who are there for both. But I love that, like bringing people together in a room and surprising people. So for some of these people, they may never have seen a classical orchestra before. And maybe it just kind of sparked a little bit of a curiosity. And for some of these people, they might not know. I mean, I don't know a lot of country music. And I have to say that concert for me was a revelation. I had the best time. So it's, yeah, classical music or orchestral music, however you want to see it, is incredibly relevant because there is so much diversity. There's so much that you can choose from. You look at an orchestra season and, yeah, there's anything from before Christmas we did Mahler's Third Symphony, which is the longest standard piece from the orchestra repertoire. It's about two hours without intermission. So you have to make sure you like get to the bathroom before because <laughs> it's it's a journey. Like it's a great journey, but that's like a standard of the orchestra season. We sold it out twice. It was a collaboration with the Edmonton Symphony. So we did a performance here in Calgary with both orchestras together on stage, which in itself, you like looked at it. It was two orchestras and a, and a choir of like 100 plus people. So just like so many people coming together to make music. And then I think Brett Kissel was the next week. So in st- inside of two weeks, there was this like monument of classical music. And then I conducted two shows with this incredible country artist. So I, that's part of what I love about my job is how much variety I get and how much I'm constantly learning as well. So I think it's, yeah, it's a wonderful place for people to come and to try something different. Yeah, because you you just never know, right? You just never yeah. know. And I think it's great to offer all those different types of experiences because maybe people came to see Brett Kissel, but then they thought, huh, I'm yep. curious what else the Calgary Phil offers. And I'd like yep. to come back again because I had such a positive experience. And I loved how Brett talked about how it was like a dream come true for him to have that experience and how yeah. meaningful it was to him. And you could just tell how authentically joyful he was to be up <laughs> on the stage. And he was just loving every minute. And there was one song in particular where I like had to laugh out loud. And I looked over and my husband was as well. But it was like this juxtaposition 
it was the Calgary Phil playing and Brett Kissel singing the song that he did in collaboration with Cooper Allen. Yeah. Um, and it was like, boss man, kiss my ass. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, so you have all these, you know, the Calgary Phil playing so beautifully. And it was just so interesting and fun. And it, like, it was just, yeah. Anyways, we had a giggle in that moment. So yeah, we, we thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience. So Thinking really broadly, because just I, I want to talk a little bit more about just music. So in your view, what is the capacity that music really has to unite and move and challenge people? Yeah, I mean, those are three completely different things. And I think they can all happen to various degrees at once. You had mentioned earlier that the concert hall is filled with people who are all there for individual reasons, Right. But I think, and I felt this in, in the concert for Mahler Third Symphony that I'd mentioned before, that we all sat through this really epic journey that was incredible with just the most people on stage doing this incredibly monumental thing. And at the end, you could feel the air was like different in the room. Like it really felt like we had experienced this one unique thing together. You will meet people in the concert hall that have very different views than you, maybe politically or in terms of religion, or it's just different backgrounds for whatever reasons. But coming together in the arts is something that like really unifies people. And it opens things up for conversation in a way that is extremely unique, I think. Because regardless of the reason you're there, I think most people are going to have an emotional experience, right? And that's the part where it moves people. There's something about seeing, hearing live music. I remember, I don't know if you remember the first live performance you saw after the pandemic. I remember going to see a dance performance and before anything even started, when people just came on stage, I immediately like started to tear up because being in that space again was the thing that was special. And I, you know, I'd been consuming art on my computer through the pandemic and it was great to have access to that, but there is nothing like seeing actual people perform. And I think that's the bit that that is special and that moves people. And in terms of challenging, I mean, we all have our little areas of comfort, right? And I think art is such a wonderful place to go and explore things that are outside of our little area of comfort. I sometimes conduct music that I either don't know anything about before I open the score for the first time, or I think, oh, I'm not sure if this genre is for me, but like, I'll try it out. And I think there's so much that can be, be said for showing up with kind of just a lot of openness and being willing to enjoy something we didn't think we would like and to just kind of expand our horizons a little bit at a time and just see what happens, right? Yeah, because what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst, you, you yeah, might like it. You might actually <laughs> like it. And then, <laughs> and then you have to add something else to your repertoire. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you said that. We sort of convinced our eldest last summer to join us for a day at Country Thunder. And neither, and I mentioned this to you, my husband and I are not like massive country music fans, but we enjoy country music and we enjoy live music. Like there is yeah. something about that. And when you mentioned like the first time hearing live music in person again after the pandemic, like, yes, it. It, there's something special about getting together with a group of people and being in the room and in the space. But our son came, he's, he said he, he would come, but like, he didn't like country music. He probably wouldn't like any of this, the songs yeah. or the performers. Well, after that day, 
we sure enough heard him blasting music from some of the artists that he had heard the day yep. he came down to Country Thunder. And so he has added to his repertoire. And I'm sure, you know, he was probably a little bit surprised by that. And and we were too. And we, you know, we've talked about afterwards with him, like, you don't have to like one type of music, like you just might never know there might be another artist or type of music that interests you. Um, and a lot of that, I think, comes from as you said, those experiences and just being absolutely. open to them. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, similarly, I, I'm i not someone who has historically listened to a lot of country just because it sort of never happened to me. But this performance that you're at with Brett Kissel, he is one of the most genuine people that I've ever shared a stage with. And it was a really, really meaningful experience that I'm never going to forget because it was special for so many different reasons and unexpected. And yeah, it really kind of opened a lot of doors for me in terms of possibilities. Yeah, which is exciting, which yeah, is exciting. For sure. So I'm curious, you've had a lot of interesting people in your life, I'm sure through all the different experiences that you've had, but do you have a favorite teacher that really stands out for you or a favorite learning experience that just really resonated with you? And why would that person or experience really stand out for you in that way? Yeah, I mean, I kind of have one of each. I have a one of my French teachers in high school is always going to stand out as someone who has inspired me. Her name is Isabelle Girard-Potvin. She was just so excited about the books that we read and so enthusiastic about sharing her love of French literature. And I think that enthusiasm is something that I try to carry in everything that I do as well. It's just like, it was so contagious. And I so appreciated that from her. In terms of an experience, whenever I, when I was a pianist, I spent six weeks in the mountains just outside of Vienna, studying specifically German song for voice and piano. So we did six weeks of like a deep dive in this very specific repertoire. And there were maybe like 15 duo pairs of pianists and singers. And we all spent this time together, just really delving into very specific repertoire. And I think the experience of doing it in this beautiful place where a lot of this was written is the thing that was special because living in the place where something has been created really heightens the experience of why this has come to be. So that's kind of like a magical six weeks of my life that will always feel really special. No kidding. To be immersed in the place where the music yeah. is from and doing that deep dive is pretty remarkable and special. I know our kids sometimes, you know, will be less enthusiastic about certain elements of their social studies curriculum, for example. But when we took our family to Germany and we mm -hmm. were being toured around the Museum of Torture, for example, yeah, <laughs> Torture and Punishment or something like that, they were just like taking it all, like the stories in, because here we are in the place, seeing the things and being led by this really engaging and super enthusiastic person um, yep. telling them all these stories. So there, there is something to be said about that immersive and enthusiastic sort of teaching and learning experience that we can have. 
Now, you've done so many things, so I'm so curious about your answer to this question. So when you look back at your incredible journey so far, what it would be something that you are the most proud of? Yeah, I think something that I feel very proud of is I'm someone, I'm a planner. I'm someone who always has a plan about like where I think things are going to go. But I feel very proud that I have the ability to see that I was wrong about my own plan whenever kind of the world gives me something else and for me to follow that new path. So I wasn't supposed to be a conductor. I was a pianist. And then I ended up on the podium and I noticed that that was right for me. Similarly, I, you know, I'd been in the UK for a decade. I thought that I was going to be there forever. But then there's an incredible job that opened up in Canada and I recognized that that was the new plan. So I feel very proud to have been able to veer off of what I thought my plan was whenever something else kind of fell from the sky. I am a type A planner person myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I so resonate with what you're saying. And I think it has definitely led you down some really incredible paths. And that's a hard thing. It's hard to be open to and and kind of step into that uncertainty when you are a planner. I feel you on that one big time. So I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Absolutely. What is something you would love to learn about or something that you would love to learn how to do? Oh my goodness. I mean, I I'm curious about literally everything. So I find this hard to answer because I just, yeah, I want to learn to speak a whole bunch of different languages. I want to play a whole bunch of different instruments. I did buy an accordion like 10 years ago and never learned how to play it. So maybe that should be my, my next step. That would be amazing. My brother-in-law takes, I don't know if he still is, but he has been taking accordion lessons which is interesting. That, if you if you want somebody to work with. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. What is a place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? For as long as I can remember, I've been very curious about Iceland and also Corsica because they both seem, the landscape just seems so rugged and so foreign to what I know. That would be amazing. Two places I haven't been to either. What is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show you've enjoyed recently? I have recently read Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang, which I really thought was fascinating. It was written from such an interesting narrative perspective and just kind of following where the story went and trying to figure out how you felt about this person who's telling you the story. It was just so beautifully written and uh, yeah, so easy to read as well. So if anyone's looking for, I read it on a plane. It's a perfect air, like airplane book. That's amazing. Okay, I'm gonna add that one to my list. Yeah. And if you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you would love to learn from, who would it be and why? <laughs> this might be because I've watched Maestro recently, but I would love to have been able to meet Leonard Bernstein. And it's not because of, I mean, obviously I admire his musicianship, but he has done so much for community engagement. His like young, young people's concerts that he had broadcast just introduced classical music to generations of people. He did pre-concert talks. He programmed a lot of contemporary music in a time where that didn't get done quite as much. Like he's just so much that he has done for to bring the orchestra into 
a more community level. And I would just love to have been able to pick his brain on that. Oh, that would have been a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that. I haven't yet. So now I have like this list of things to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to help. (laughs) Thank you. So something that has come up in our conversation and I talk about all the time is how education really does play an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. So do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom that could empower or support people with their own teaching and learning journeys? I think the most important thing for me is just to never stop being open and to just lead with curiosity all the time. And this is both when learning about any little subject, but also just in terms of like where life goes, because life just brings you all these surprises. And I think sometimes just being open and being willing to say yes, it's, it can change so many things. And I think that's, yeah, for me, that is something that's really changed my life. I would say that's been a huge part of your story. So, Julianne, I want to thank you so, so very much for sharing your time and words of wisdom and story with us today. So if people are curious about you and all the things that you are up to, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, thanks, Tiana. I like really appreciate this. This was so lovely. People can find me on the internet. So my website is www.juliannegallant.com. I'm also on social media. I try to be on social media. I'm not the best at it, but I do have a professional page on Facebook. And I also have uh, Instagram where I post about what's going on. But yeah, all of my concerts, both at the Calgary Phil and elsewhere are listed on my website. So it's easy to find me there. Perfect. I will make sure to share all of that in the show notes. Thank you so very much for joining me. It was such a pleasure. Wonderful to connect with you and to learn from you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together.